Ladies and gentlemen. One, two, three, four. Wanna be better, richer, happier? Of course you do. Welcome to the Be Less Crap podcast. Let's go. A podcast devoted to helping you become a less mediocre human. With your host, very much a work in progress herself, Charlotte Sherston. Hello and welcome. My name is Charlotte and this is the Be Less Crap podcast. Now, wouldn't it be fabulous if we could all save ourselves stacks of money without changing our lifestyle one iota? Today's guest is a former reporter and editor of the Sydney Morning Herald. He's campaign director at One Big Switch, author of the book Kill Bills. He's also the first bloke I've had on the show and is just the person to help us save some of our hard-earned cash. Joel Gibson, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's wonderful to be smashing that glass ceiling for you today. Fantastic. (laughs) I was excited to get you on the show as at this time of year, um, as well as my waistline and liver feeling rather ravaged, um, a lot of us are feeling the financial hangover effects of the festive season. So maybe you can just start by explaining how your book Kill Bills might be able to help us and, and why you're an expert where you've been working for the past seven or eight years that's kind of given you some insider uh, hacks. Absolutely. Okay. So um, I think that January is the month of the year when people feel brokest. And I think probably this year in particular, after the year we've just had, um, this is a time of year when not only have we spent a lot of money in the past month, but uh, but often, you know, we're in that kind of New Year's resolutions, um, be less crap um, uh, sort of mentality. And we're determined to do some things that we've been putting off for, uh, for for some months. And so I, you see a new resolve in people in January. And so I hope they pick up the book when they're in that mindset because um, this is a book really a bit like your podcast, which is written for people who uh, don't want to take any crap anymore from their providers of their household bills and, um, you know, don't want to be ripped off, but also don't want to settle for mediocre um, middle-of-the-road offers. They want the best offers or, you know, close to the best deals and they, um, and they don't want to have to sit on the phone for three hours to get them. They want uh, maximum, maximum kind of uh, impact for minimum pain, I guess, is the idea behind the book. So a little bit about the background, I guess. Um, I was a journalist for about 10 years, a newspaper journalist at the Sydney Morning Herald. Um, and I left there in 2012 and didn't really have a plan, just wanted to do something a little different. And I ended up... Um, Sort of landing at a small, relatively new um, organization at that point called One Big Switch, which had just launched about a year earlier. And I joined them because I really loved the idea behind, um, behind One Big Switch, which was can we use people power to save on household bills? Can we get together as hundreds of thousands or now over a million consumers and use that combined negotiating power? to get a better deal out of the providers of our household bills from energy to insurances to mortgages to whatever. Um, The early signs were that, yes, we could because they just had their first couple of campaigns. Um, A quarter of a million people had joined their first big energy switch campaign, so that had been a huge success um, and had effectively created energy offers on the market that were better than anything else out there and didn't exist before the campaign existed. So in its own little way, that campaign changed the market. And that was quite exciting, I thought. So I took um, I took up the job with One Big Switch and I've been there in various forms ever since. And I've learned on the job what somebody who 
previously didn't really know anything about how to save on your energy bill or how to pay less for your mortgage or um, or how to how to negotiate with an insurance company. Um, I was that person, and I've learned on the job as a result of not only working with consumers and helping them to deal with these enormous, sometimes multinational companies that provide us with our household bills and services, but also sitting in the room with some of the businesses that, that provide these services and understanding how they work. So I feel like I've walked both sides of the street and I've um, uh, got some insights from that that I wanted to put into this book so that people could, could go through the rest of their lives understanding how businesses work and knowing how to get the best out of businesses and, and, and not be screwed over. And I mean, I know household bills and gas and utility, it's not sexy and it's not exciting, but it is achievable for everyone. So obviously in the book, I'd just like to reassure everyone that Joel does sort of, you know, sex it up a little bit and make it sound a little bit more exciting so that you are um, managed to stay awake all, all the way through it. So, I mean, I guess one of the things we'll kick off with is in terms of household bills, you usually imagine, and it's certainly the way that it's spun to us, is that loyal customers are the ones that will save money. Um, they're the ones who will be rewarded for their loyalty, for staying committed. But no, uh, your book actually kicks off with the number one trick, which you call the De Niro, um, which kind of contradicts this assumption. And so what has our mate Bobby De Niro got to do with something as unglamorous as the gas bill? <laughs> it does. Look, I set out to write the least boring book about bills that I could. And that was my goal because I know that nobody wants to think or talk about their household bills for more than, you know, half a minute a day if they can avoid it. So my, my question was, how can I make this as painless and as entertaining for people as possible? And one of the things I did to try and try and achieve that was to bring a whole lot of popular culture movie references into the book because I, that's one of my major interests. Um, it's what I wrote my kind of honours thesis about when I was at university about how you're translating novels into films. And so I've got a, a bit of a, a you know, a, an abiding interest in popular culture. I love how popular culture brings people together and, and, and can help to explain ideas to people. So the De Niro, the first money-saving strategy in the book, is named after one of my favourite movies, which is called Heat. It was made in 1995. Um, it had De Niro, Pacino, Val Kilmer, um, pretty amazing cast. And, uh, and De Niro, his character in the book, is uh, effectively a, you know, a bank robber. Um, he's a charming bank robber, a charming career criminal, and he never gets caught. And Pacino is the policeman who's trying to catch him. And De Niro's secret to never getting caught is to never get too attached to anything so that you're not prepared to get out of there in 30 seconds flat if you feel the heat coming around the corner. And that's the sort of, that's the theme of the, of the, of the movie, if you like, because um, De Niro falls in love and, uh, and there's this sort of um, conflict in his character. Oh, it's between. agony. It's agony. And Val Kilmer's girlfriend, the same. Yeah. She just does that little sort of hand action and he has to just walk away. Um, no, great movie. A yeah. lot of the people yeah. I'm listening might be way too young to remember it, but it's a classic, so get it out. H how does that relate to us and household bills? Sure. Well, that, that, that quote that gives the movie its name is all about never getting, being ruthlessly disloyal, never getting attached to anything, whether you're a bank robber or you're a, uh, you know, payer of a household bill. The way to be successful is to be ruthlessly disloyal and to only uh, show loyalty to businesses that show loyalty to you. So you've really got to be like De Niro when it comes to dealing with your energy company or an insurance company or, 
or your bank because the reality of the situation is, I've seen it over and over again, it's switches who get the best deals. It's not what I call the sleeping beauties, those very loyal customers who stay with the provider um, through thick and thin and effectively uh, doze away very peacefully while, uh, while their high-priced energy plan or mortgage or whatever is used to help bankroll the very special deals for new customers who are switching around and, and shopping around. Yeah, it seems so unfair, but I mean, it it makes sense. I mean, businesses are in it to make money, but the fact that most of us are a little bit too lazy to, you know, they're taking advantage of our laziness and inertia to do anything about it. So you talk about how they have, um, yeah, different deals for different consumers. So really we need to wake up and start taking some action and not being a sleeping beauty. Um, I mean, it's similar to the abandoned cart offer. If I go and buy something online or I nearly buy something online and then I, I go, no, I actually can't afford that pair of shoes. The next day I will wake up and in my email box is like, hey, surprise, 25% off those shoes you liked which seems so unfair because if I'd bought them yesterday, I would be spending 25% more. So it, it, it's a similar system to that. You talk about sort of uh, retention offers, that sort of thing. Do you want to explain a little bit more about that? Yes, absolutely. So businesses will charge you whatever they can get away with charging you for a product. And it's largely up to you whether you pay the top price or the heavily discounted price. Now, not in every instance will you be able to save 30 or 40% on the recommended retail price. Of course not. But businesses will charge you what they can get away with charging you. So they talk about different types of customers behind the scenes in these businesses. And on the one hand, you have, as I said, the sleeping beauty who does not shop around, does not ask for a better deal, usually ends up paying top dollar. At the other end of the scale, you have what they call the price chaser. And this is somebody who they know is always going to chase the cheapest price and will move, leave to another provider uh, if they see a better offer. So what you want to do is you want to demand the price chaser deal, uh, which is usually the deal they're offering to new customers. Uh, it's usually one and the same thing. Businesses also talk about having a front book, back book pricing policy. And the front book is the competitive deals to new customers to get them in the door. So three they months free initially or something. Yeah. Yeah. Three months free, one year free, one month free, 30% off in the first year, for example. Um, and then they slowly increase the price over time. They hope that you stay and you become a member of their back book, which is where they make the majority of their margin, which is how they then cross-subsidize. The so you pretty, you've pretty much paid the, the same, but <laughs> you just feel you feel like you've had a good deal. And it, 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 I mean, that's the yeah. whole thing. It is a psychology thing. There's another trick you talk about with um, anchoring, I think, which is about um, mentioning a price. So therefore that makes people think that's the price. Is that right? Or that's the, you yeah. know. Yeah, we've all seen those late night infomercials where they say, how much you ex would you expect to pay for this set of steak knives? You know, $39.99? No. $29.99? No. It's yours for just six installments of $2.99. And that, that is anchoring. It's a marketing technique, which effectively creates an expectation in you of, I mean, you know, how much would you expect to pay for this set of steak knives? I have no idea what a set of steak knives would cost. But if, if you're going to name a number, that becomes my benchmark for all the numbers that come afterwards. And it's a marketing technique that's used everywhere from late night infomercials right through to selling insurance and, and uh, home loans and the other household bills and services. That yeah, I mean, it's the same with sales. I mean, we tend to fixate on what we've saved. So, you know, the dress that was $300 is now 200. So we've saved 100. But actually, we've spent $200. And I was reading that 
what we, what we do is because we're comparing like with like the $300 dress with the $200 dress, it's something I think it's called relative values. Instead, we should be comparing $200 with maybe that would be our utility bill or a new pair of school shoes for our kids instead of comparing it. So I do think the psychology of how they get us is is they're buggers, really. I mean, there was one thing that really freaked me out is that you said that the New South Wales Insurance Levy Monitor found that some companies actually employ teams whose actual job is to create an algorithm to predict how much they can increase our premiums before we'll leave. I mean, seriously? Exactly right. Teams of actuaries sitting there inside the big insurance companies giving advice on uh, on, on essentially what they can get away with. You know, there's that great um, analogy or metaphor of the of the frog in hot water. If you put a frog into a pot of boiling water, it'll jump out. If you put a frog into a, a, a pot of cold water and then slowly increase the temperature, I'm told, I've never done this, of course, but I'm told <laughs> that the frog will not notice the gradual temperature increase and um, will end up, uh, you know, being, being boiled. And that's what we're like as consumers. If we um, uh, sometimes, you know, we... I got fascinated when I was writing this book in some of the um, kind of consumer psychology and marketing research that had been done over the years by social scientists, including by Nobel Prize winning um, psychologists and and behavioural economists, which can tell us so much about how we should be dealing with these big businesses and also how they manipulate us. Um, Anchoring is one example we talked about before. Um, Another is called loss aversion. And loss aversion says that as human beings, we value what we have twice as much as something that we might gain. So for example, uh, if I have this pencil and you asked me how much I would want for it to part with it, I would probably say 20 cents. Um, If you had the pencil and you asked me how much I'd be prepared to pay for it, I'm more likely to say 10 cents. It's the same pencil, but the value I put on the pencil is double because I already have it. And it's the same thing when we have our insurance company or our energy bill or whatever, our fear of change is largely driven by our our um, our fear of losing something that we already have because we overvalue things we already have and we undervalue the potential wins we could have by moving. I think that the fear of change is something that consistently runs through so much of our lives. And, and this is why I want to kind of galvanise the people listening that Unlike a lot of the other New Year's resolutions that we might be thinking of, I want to lose 10 kilos or I want to start an exercise program, these things are hard. And um, this isn't hard. This is really, and the great thing in in the second half of the book, you actually take people through step by step each of the, the utility bills or grocery bills or home loan insurance. And so you can tackle them and knock them off one by one. I mean, the problem is people find haggling embarrassing. Don't we? I mean, I know the younger generation generally try to avoid talking on the phone in real life a, a, as much as possible. Um, but one of the things I was thinking is it is worth remembering that y- you can follow these scripts in the book. The people you're speaking to are following scripts as well. And they really couldn't care less <laughs> who you are. Like, I don't know why we worry about we're just talking to someone who doesn't give a shit about us. So it's not embarrassing. It shouldn't be. What do you give? How do you kind of um, make people who are worried about negotiating just make that first step? That's very true. And that's actually really important for people to know. When you call a call centre, what they have in front of them is a script that's been written by a manager and signed off by all the different levels of management, which says, if the person says A, you say B. If the person says C, you say D. And so 
really, you just need to be um, asking them the tough questions and demanding, uh, you know, the the best deal from them, and then they will have a response in their in their pro forma responses. And uh, it's not personal. I think the most important bit of advice I have for people about negotiating is I agree, most of us. Westerners particularly don't enjoy haggling. I think it's particularly a Western thing. Um, you know, go to Bali; they love to haggle. But uh, but most of us most of us here in the West don't. Um, the single most important thing about negotiation is that it's not whether you're a born negotiator or not. It's not whether you find it awkward or not. It's how much leverage you have that will determine the result. And the way to have leverage in your conversations with your energy company or your bank or whatever is to know what other deals are out there and to use those as, you know, anchors in the conversation. So do your research your prior. So, absolutely. And when, and, and when, I know when you say do your research, I know a lot of people roll their eyes and think, oh, it's going to take me hours to do that. It doesn't. In five minutes, if you go to the right website, you can find out what the cheapest energy deal is on the market right now in your suburb. I'm going to put some of these in the show notes. I'm not going to give Joel's whole book away, but I'm going to put a couple of these in the show notes. Go for it. I mean, it's, it's not, it's not confidential information. It's all public. It's all out there, but just uh, enough of us are not aware of it. Um, Five minutes, you can find out the best, cheapest energy offer on the market. And then when you call your, your retailer and say, why is my discount just gone down? This, this retailer X, um, across the road is offering 30% discount. Can you match it? If not, I'm going to switch. And literally it takes five minutes to fill out a form online and switch your energy supply. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I was going to say if, if someone after the show, you've come home from your walk, you've listened to this podcast, you're like, right, I'm just going to save some money for doing absolutely nothing that hard and not saving or anything complicated. Where should they start? Who is the easiest provider for them to target just to build their confidence? I advise people to start with their energy bill, A, because everybody has one, B, because it's now so easy to find the cheapest deals out there, um, and C, because they'll almost always play ball with you if you call them up with a better deal in your hand and say that you're ready to move. D, because it's so easy to switch if they don't, um, if they call you bluff or they, or they won't play ball. It is so easy. And everybody's selling the same thing. There's no difference between company A's electricity and company B's electricity. The only difference is the branding, the marketing, and probably to some extent the customer service. Some some companies have better customer service than others. But how often do you talk to your energy company about a customer service issue? I mean, I don't think I've done it ever. No, your internet, yes, but not your energy bill. So I, I took your advice in the book, and I was I was going to go off tangent and do it myself. Um, but as soon as someone says to me, you know, how many kilowatts an hour or something, I was like, forget it. So I did go to my one big switch and I did change and I have saved money. So it definitely works. So that that's kind of an even shorter cut if you don't want to rig around and do the research. So um, you yeah, didn't even ask yeah. me to say I that. think it's also important. Yeah, I think it's important to give people a bit of a, um, a break as well. You don't have to be on the absolute cheapest energy deal in the market at all times. You just have to be on one of the best. And if you're on one of the best, you can save hundreds or even $1,000 compared to the dud deals. So it's not necessarily about perfection. It's just about um, having a go and not letting anybody, you know, have a, have a lend of you, I think, is the important thing. Uh, um, um, you, you cover everything in the book, as I say, from utility, groceries, petrol, um, credit cards. Where is the biggest, hands down from your experience when people have been doing this, where's the biggest saving? 
Oh, no question. The mortgage is the big is the big one. You can save you know tens of thousands of dollars by switching to the right mortgage. But it's also the most um, you know when I say difficult one, the most time consuming one. So what I do in the book is I actually run through them in order of degree of difficulty from simplest to most complicated. And so I start with energy bills, look at mobile and internet next. I look at insurances, car and home, and then we end on the mortgage because once you've um, you know, once you've built some confidence, killing all these other bills, you're ready to take on. You're an uh, expert by then. Now, I, yeah, exactly. And I think it's fine to use a mortgage broker. I do. Um, uh, and there, are, but again, there's a, there's a smart way to use a mortgage broker, and there's a and there's a not so smart way. The smart way to use a mortgage broker is also to see what the cheapest mortgages are on some of the comparison websites, present those to your broker, and say, I want you to try and match that. Try and find me something like that. So again, you're benchmarking or anchoring the conversation your expectations are high they know that and they're going to have to earn their commission yeah and I think one of the things again that sort of is off-putting and 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 can mislead people I, I remember listening to a report on choice um that they were saying mobile phone bills are um you know different plans are so complicated and you know you get to 23 minutes of this and two years of this and 48 gigs of this and they make it so complicated that people get put off so I think also just encouraging people not to being bamboozled by that language because that's one of the things they do isn't it they're, they're trying to trick us into thinking that we don't know anything yeah they're trying to make you feel stupid and when, and when you feel stupid then you lose confidence and you're unlikely to make a bold decision um i think that's absolutely the case there's there's an american um academic called barry schwartz who i quote in the book he wrote a great book called the paradox of choice which is all about how we've created so many choices for ourselves in our modern lives that um, we've effectively we've effectively become paralysed by indecision, and we end up not making decisions, and that's the worst possible result. So, you know, his message is again: give yourself a break. Um, it doesn't have to be the perfect laptop that you buy or the perfect energy plan that you uh, sign up to. It just has to be one of the good ones. Um, and then you can chalk that up as a win and get on with your life and um, go and spend that $500 you've saved on something um, fun, a weekend away or something. Yeah, no, it, it, it's it's so true. And also you have to weigh up the cost uh, versus the hassle. I, I always think like, you know, if, I, if I'm having issues with my internet, I'm like, okay, am I prepared for two hours of hell talking to people at Telstra that I nearly get so frustrated I want to cry? I might say $45. No, that's not worth it. So I think it's a sort of a, a similar parallel with this. You don't have to stress yourself out too much. Just generally, especially if you haven't looked at your household bills or ever done this, you will be surprised what a massive difference you can make. Um, one of I the think th if, you've never, if you've never done it, those are the people I love to speak to because um, they're the ones who can probably save over a thousand bucks in not much time at all you know, thousands of dollars sometimes. So if you're somebody who pays a lot of attention to this and you once a year, you look at all your household bills, you're probably going to be able to save small amounts by constantly checking on those, um, your energy plan once a year and looking at your insurance when it comes in, the renewal comes in. If you've never done it, then, you know, the um, sky's the limit. You yeah, what's save, the biggest uh, you've heard anyone saved? How, how much have you heard um, some people Look, I've recently spoken to a couple of people who saved about $6,500 on their household bills by going through line by line and following, you know, the strategy. That's great. I mean, that's so much more um, exciting than the sort of, why don't you just stop having your takeaway coffee every day, save $3 a day? <laughs> that doesn't motivate me, whereas that sort of figure does. <laughs> 
No, look, I, I don't even bother with the smaller stuff like that. I, my, my, my goal is, as I say, what is the minimum amount of time and energy we can spend for the maximum reward, maximum payback? And that means taking on the big annual bills, particularly energy insurances, the mortgage eventually once you're ready. Um, say big on those things so that you can spend money on, you know, the things that really matter, not on you know, the boring stuff. I love some of the stuff um, about the insurance because it's so exciting. But no, it is when you actually start reading it, <laughs> and you, you realise most people think that, you know, I've signed up, I've done my car insurance for the year. So you think, oh, well, I can't, I've got to wait till November um, to change that. That's not true. I love the fact that you talk about just by changing your excess, um, which I did on all my cars. So instead of saying, you know, $500 excess, I went for $750. That brings everything down. So there are just loads, it's chock full of loads of, tips um one of the things I, I wanted to understand which is slightly kind of um within the purview but slightly uh, bigger picture is I, I because before I'd used it I didn't really understand the difference between companies like Big Switch and Nine Saver which obviously seem to be very much on the consumer side and then there are these other comparison websites out there like Compare the Market and I Select and I, I know we've got a lot of listeners over in UK and Europe and they'll, they'll have their equivalent of those can you kind of explain what the difference is? Because my understanding is that the companies um, like Compare the Market get commission from the people who advertise and they don't have everyone on there. So I, it seems contradictory to me. And are they helping us as the consumer? Yeah. Look, I think I think you can assume that any anyone who's helping you as a consumer but not charging you for the service is probably getting paid by somebody somewhere. So there is a commission involved. That's not necessarily a problem as long as you're confident that they're doing their job. And, you know, as I say, I use a mortgage broker. I know what his commission is. Um, I'm comfortable with him being paid for that because I feel like I get, I get value from, uh, from, his, from his service. Um, the big difference, I suppose, you've sort of got three generations, if you like, of, um, uh, of consumer um, comparison type companies. The first generation was the traditional comparison website. As you say, there's a couple of big ones. Here in Australia, there's some enormous ones in the UK. Um, they effectively compare most of the plans on the market for you. They've sometimes been wrapped over the knuckles for giving the impression they compare all of them. They don't because some, some companies, you know, just won't, won't work with those comparison websites. They don't want to pay them. So they'll cover most of the market. Um, they're a great way of just filtering down the options if you're not too concerned about comparing everything. What also has happened since then is governments have got into this game. And now there are some really good comprehensive government websites, for example, in energy. Um, the best, best comparison websites are probably government ones. They're 100% fee free. They don't get paid a commission. They do cover the whole market. Um, and so that's a case where governments have intervened in that sort of thing. Um, one big switch where I work and Nine Saver, where I also do some work, are effectively consumer clubs, people power clubs. And so what, what we do is we just negotiate one deal at a time in a particular um, product category, such as electricity. Um, and that is the exclusive offer at that time for one big switch members until that one ends. And then we try and bring in another one, often with a different retailer, and, and, and that'll, that'll replace it for a, for a while for the next uh, slot, if you like. And the idea behind that is that those offers are better than you can get as an individual on the on the current market. Which so I think we're just it's, it's, create it's, new deals. Yeah, I mean, it's such a good formula, and it. I mean, I can't believe it didn't exist before it existed. It seems so obvious in hindsight, and and also I, I like that you say, and it's very true. Anyone who's going to pretty much give you free stuff, 
there is usually a reason. It's the same. Everyone goes, well, how come they're taking all my data? Well, you've got all these apps on your phone that you want all this free stuff and you want them to give you all this stuff. Um, there's a reason. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, that, that's, the, that's the way the life goes. Um, yeah, everyone wants to save money, but is anybody going to pay um, a monthly fee for that sort of service? Maybe, but probably not. Um, so, you know, I think what's the saying? If, if there's no... Um, uh, What's the saying? If you, that you are the product, if there's no fee, then you are the product. Absolutely. Uh, one of the last things I want to wrap up on, and because it particularly, um, well, one, I had terrible credit card debt when I was younger, and now I have zero credit cards, and it's it's one of my greatest joys and achievements not to be a slave to a credit card. Um, and one of the things I read in the book that you were saying, the average, a lot of people aren't really bad. Like we were, I was really bad. I think. I got sent a credit card when Bank West first opened in Australia. Didn't have great credit. And they said, would you like $30,000? $30,000 with bad credit? No, but I took it and I eventually spent it. So, um, yes, please, if you're listening, don't get sucked into uh, credit card debt. But you were saying in the book that the average debt is around $4,000 a year. Is that correct? And for that, people are paying how much on average? Yeah, it- it was, it was around $4,000 when I wrote the book. It's actually come down, which is great news, to about $3,000. And there's been some fascinating effects from the pandemic in the past year on the credit card industry. We've closed a million credit card accounts in the past 12 months in Australia. Wow. Um, and paid down over, over $7 billion worth of credit card debt. So as much as there's been criticism of people drawing down their super, for example, or deferring their mortgages, or there's been some criticism of the amount of government stimulus, People have obviously used that money um, to a good end, which is to pay down high interest debt in many cases. And, and that's a, I think that's a really positive. Um, I love that. Uh, I didn't know that. That's great. Yeah. It's because none of us are yeah. going on holiday. We're saving. I'm, certainly, <laughs> I'm saving a fortune, not like leaving the country. Um, I guess there are a few other things that have popped up. And I know you don't really cover this in the book, but again, it's something that I have a real bugbear. So I'd love to um, get your take on these things these small loan companies like Nimble that just will lend you fast cash quickly um, or Afterpay where you can get it now and pay later. With your experience, you've been in this world for a while, but what can you tell people who are listening to try and get them not to get sucked into that if you have uh, as much of a problem with them as I do? Yeah, good question. I think let's let's talk first of all about the first small, the small loan, what they call the payday loan sector. Now, I think that's the most dangerous kind of borrowing of the whole lot because their model is basically a 20% upfront fee and then 4%. Um, for, it adds up to about a 50% interest rate over the course of a year if you don't pay it off in time. So those little you know, short-term, lo- short-term lenders are very, very dangerous in terms of you can get into a big black hole really quickly and it's very, very hard to get out of them. Um, if you need urgent funds, uh, you know, for example, there are there are interest-free loans that have been um, created in the past year in a, in a sort of partnership between, I think it's NAB and the federal government um, and a microfinance company called Good Shepherd, $3,000 interest-free for people who are having trouble paying their household bills. Oh, that's Do great. not go to a payday lender. Yeah. Um, it's called the No Interest Loans Scheme. If you Google that, it'll, it'll come up in the, uh, in the search results. Credit cards, I think, are the next level down because obviously the, the average credit card interest rate is about 20% and that can quickly compound as well if you're not on top of it. 
Um, and so I've been pretty negative about credit cards in the book and and kind of publicly because I think that they can be a real trap for the for about 60% of people who don't pay them off every month. And that's the that's the reality. Um, buy now, pay later, I think, you know, it's definitely the lesser of two evils or the lesser of three evils out of those those three because there's no interest involved. So there's no compounding um, element and you can get into trouble if you if you have to pay late fees, but they'll effectively cut you off if you get to the point where you've missed four payments and your late fees are piling up. So I think if you can pay off your credit card, chop it up, that's a fantastic first step in getting out of debt. If you need to buy things, uh, let's say maybe you urgently need a phone because your, your phone broke and you don't have the, the money till payday, there are ways out there to get loans where you won't end up paying compounding interest. And um, those are the first ports of call. Yeah, there was another um, thing I just saw advertised. I don't know if it's a new thing or they've just repackaged it as something else, but it's the payday loans where you can get paid before you get paid. What are they like? Yes. I guess they're an evolution of buy now, pay later in the in the in the income space. Um, and they're probably mainly pitched at younger um, younger uh, consumers who are paid monthly and, and maybe often don't have anything left in the bank account for the for the last week of the month. And so that's a way of spreading out the um they're relatively small fees. Um, obviously you're always better off um, budgeting. Uh, and, and managing your money so that uh, you're not paying a fee to someone um, to give you your, your paycheck ahead of time each month. They play a role, I'm sure, for some people to sort of to plug you it You just want to try, um, I guess, not getting into the habit of every month. I mean, look, I, I remember the 15th of the month was payday and wow, if anyone asked me out for dinner on the 12th, that was not a great day. So I, I totally relate. <laughs> so I think, I, I think it's okay for filling a gap um, but I, yeah, I certainly think that we, we probably should uh, not get into the habit of it. I think that's right. And I don't want to be sort of condescending or patronising to younger people who have paid, you know. I, I remember what it was like being when I started out as a journalist. Journalists aren't paid a lot of money at the best of times, but I can assure you a cadet journalist isn't paid a lot of money. And like you say, the last week of the month I was broke as well and often, you know, borrowing from um, anyone who'd lend me money to get through the week. So I can completely understand why people um, need to use these things from time to time. I think that, that really the trick is just not to become dependent on them, use mm. them. Well, the good uh, news is yeah. people could actually go home right now and pick up the telephone, get your book, have a look at it, start saving some money, and then maybe next month they won't need to get sucked in because they'll have that little bit extra. And it's all about just having that buffer. You know, like the Barefoot Investor talks about having – um, your mojo account. And it's the same thing. If you can just have that little bit that you don't come completely undone at the first sign of a parking ticket or an unexpected medical bill, then that to me is the first step of getting on top of your finances, just having that little bit of safety. And I, I really genuinely believe that this is one way people can do that and they don't have to do anything hard. So um, I, I commend you for writing the book. Um, I've implemented it myself. I think it's fab. Um, are you one of those really boring people who check the prices of everything now? Or are you, you know, <laughs> do we want to go out for, no, I'm not. for Look, dinner as a group? Or are you going to be the one itemizing what you ate and drank? No, I'd probably be the one ordering the expensive bottles of wine. Because as I say, my, my, unfortunately, my, my wife thinks it's hilarious that I'm a, a money saving expert, because I am actually the sort of person who loves the good things in life. But the reason I think that 
um, it's important to save as much as you possibly can on the boring stuff is so that you've got that money to spend on the fun stuff. And, and, if, and if, you've, if you've saved $1,000 on your household bills, you don't feel so guilty about, uh, you know, having a nice meal out or, um, or a weekend away. Here, here. Well, I think that's the perfect spot to wrap up. Um, thank you very much, Joel, for coming on the show. Um, I will be putting uh, all details about how you can get the book here and overseas. Um, although a lot of it relates to the Australian market, I, I reckon it works pretty much for everyone everywhere. Um, and it really gives you that inspiration. And we'll put some juicy stuff in the show notes. And um, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really good, really good fun. Awesome. Over and out.